Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and with me again today is Mike Lawless, IMEG's Director of Innovation. Mike, how are things? Beautiful day in St. Louis. Glad to be here. As always, glad you're here as well, Mike. Today's episode is part two of a series based on IMEG's executive guide, enhancing the quadruple aim through the built environment. The quadruple aim is used by many healthcare organizations as a framework for providing a higher standard of patient care. It consists of four goals, improving population health, reducing the cost of care, enhancing the patient experience, and improving provider satisfaction. Today, we're going to talk about improving population health through the built environment. To do this, with us today is Adam McMillan, IMEG Director of Sustainability, a co-author of the Executive Guide, and a regular guest on our podcast. Adam, nice to have you back on the show. Hey, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Great to be back online. Adam, the relationship between the healthcare built environment and population health is something that's uh, really gaining traction. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think a challenge with that topic is it's just in the past it hasn't been hasn't been very tangible. Like we can see this building going up, but knowing what this building does to impact the community around it or even the broader world has just not been as well known. So yeah, it's really um, there's been a lot of work to try to you know, make that more real for us. And Adam, is some of that, you know, our healthcare organizations in some way starting to look at, you know, beyond the, the walls of the clinic, our patients, you know, are out in the environment and are they starting to think about how their patients are impacted outside of their facilities? Yeah, you know, I think a traditional building facility, you know, it, the building goes up, it goes in a community, there's exhaust that comes out of the building. And, you know, we make sure that that goes up and it goes away from the houses. You know, we put screen walls around stuff so we don't get sound in the neighborhood. Garbage gets collected, you know, it doesn't stay on site and it goes away. Um, the electricity that comes in, it's nice and quiet and powers our building, you know. So as far as the building and the neighbors and the city officials, they don't hear anything. Everyone's happy, right? So you don't, you know, we, we've taken care of where this thing is. As long as no one gets mad and complains, then, you know, everything seems fine. And that's kind of the traditional model. Um, but you know, the question people are asking now, you know, the real story is, you know, where does all that stuff go? And, you know, what did it take to get all that here? I mean, even think about your own house, the stuff that comes in, the stuff you send out, you know, what, what, what did it take to get it here? That's the part that impacts population health. And that's really the topic that um, we're starting to address because we're getting some audience around that. And, you know, when I think about population health. I think one of the things that we hear is it's, you know, it's climate change and the effect of climate change has on our population. And I think sometimes, like you said, Adam, that can be abstract for people, you know, you know, talk about climate change, you talk about rising sea levels. Well, if you're in the middle of the Midwest, that might not, that might not resonate. How, how do you make the population health resonate a little bit more to bring it back to the communities and you know, in some cases, it has to do with where the where the power is coming from that supplies these these facilities. Yeah, I mean, we're starting. We know a lot better than we used to. Where does it all go? I mean, that exhaust goes in the air. The net called the atmosphere catches it, and that's CO two. And we see what that does in terms of those weather impacts. Um, you know, that quiet electricity that comes in. Um, you know, it's getting made somewhere else, and there's a lot of impact where it's getting built. 
um, all the garbage is going somewhere, right? And even from like a dollar's perspective, if you look at where this building goes, it goes, it goes in you know the high dollar real estate market here. But guess where all that other stuff goes? It goes in the low dollar real estate market, and that's where it's all generated. That's where the impacts are made. And in the past, folks didn't have a voice. Those folks didn't have a voice. They didn't even know where to point. There's so much going on. But I think the biggest thing we're doing right now is you know putting a voice to that, quantifying that. And on the healthcare side, you know, we've seen our providers take notice. The doctors are taking notice. They are saying, seeing that, hey, these climate impacts are impacting our patients. They're showing up here for different reasons, and they're starting to make those connections. And so they're starting to, to act on that. And I think I think that's going to do a lot to help bring it local. And I think in our you know in our kickoff on this topic, one of the things that we talked about was the opportunity that's there to impact not only where we put the building, but like you said, Adam. The communities where the the power comes from, the communities where maybe the the trash is processed, where when when healthcare groups build these buildings, they got this great opportunity to impact not only where they build it and the, the people that come into that building, but their surrounding surrounding communities and and be a good neighbor and be a good steward of their resources and be a good steward of the community. So how you know when they when when folks look at this, what can they do as they're building their building to to help this pop you know to improve population health. Yeah, you know, and I think up to this point, we've been talking about all the negative impacts, but I think I think the real opportunity here is we get to be the generation that turns it around. Like us and the doctors and everyone work together, we get to do that. Uh, 30 years, we'll look back and say, wow, we got to do it. So, and we are doing it. I think the last 10 to 15 years, you know, we've had this hyper focus on efficiency and a lot of things that were kind of new or green or lead or whatever are now just standard practice. In fact, we don't even see cost premiums on our designs sometimes, or a lot of the times anymore, at least the stuff that's been around. So every new advance that we make, every new thing we start to put in, everything that someone gets used to, the cost premium goes down and becomes standard practice. So as long as we keep pushing these next ideas forward, um, yes, there'll be some resistance up front, but history has shown us that if we're positive about it, we move it forward, we educate, we work together to get the right voices. Um, those things will will make an impact and become our new future. One other way to look at it is it's our opportunity to make for a healthier community so we have fewer patients that come come to the healthcare facilities because they have a they have a better environment. So as, as healthcare organizations look at, you know, we're we're gonna retrofit a building, we're doing a new project, what kind of technologies are they starting to embrace that really helps? advance this effort. Yeah, I think what's been convenient, especially the last two or three years, is we get to put everything around a single metric finally. I think I think we've, we've said like, hey, we need an EUI of this, we need a ROI of that, we need all these other pieces, which we do, and that's important, but it's hard to know which one to prioritize. And everything has started to go around the term carbon. And once we metric everything to carbon, we've got a pretty good net to do that. So you asked about specific technologies. I mean, we did high efficiency boilers. We did better envelopes. We did better glass. You know, we got the size of the building down, which means we put in smaller equipment, which means we have to build less. And then the, the operating carbon of the building goes down uh, whenever we've done all these upgrades. Um, you know, that's kind of what we've been doing the last several years. And now going forward, it's, you know, solar renewables have gotten cheaper in some cases generation can be less cost or more cost effective than some of the efficiencies. So that's becoming more standard practice. 
whether those things are on our building or we can put them on other sites and then use that clean power for our buildings. Yeah, and I, I think as you know, talked about solar and the, the price point of that coming down and, you know, we focus on efficiency. You talked about ROI, return on investment and EUI, the unit energy intensity use of that, that building itself. And there's been a lot of focus there and the, the PV is just the next evolution of that. And the next piece of the carbon is what, how much carbon does it take to, to build the building? What is, you know, I think we think of that as embodied carbon and Adam, how, how are people starting to look at that part of it? Yeah. You know, a couple of relevant stats to that too is, you know, uh, in response to the UN Climate Conference, um, Biden administration organized a new health office, recognizing that about 8.5% of our nation's carbon footprint comes from healthcare facilities. And that's only the operational carbon of it. Um, that has doesn't have nothing to do with what does it take to build these buildings. We talk about embodied carbon, all that stuff I talked about earlier that we're taking from a mine somewhere, using electricity to process, transporting it all here, putting it on our site, that all takes carbon too and the, the, the you know we call that embodied carbon and what's crazy about that is is basically we take about 10 to 15 years of that operating carbon that it would normally take for that and we drop it all on the on the planet on this on the earth on year one so we make a splash and every new building is a splash a splash splash of this huge spike of carbon just to put them up and then after those 10 years it continues to go operationally so hasn't been probably the last three to four years where we're now thinking about our structure. We think about our envelope. We have the embodied carbon for that. Um, and then now that next frontier is starting to understand what's the intensity of all the other building systems, MEP equipment and other things that are going into our building. On, on the embodied carbon side, Adam, I mean, I think there's some, you know, when you think about the big movers in that space, you know, what, when you talk about structural systems or big components of a building, what are a couple, a couple of those like initial thoughts people might have as they look at that embodied carbon piece? That's the kind of that big spike that you get in carbon right at the beginning of, of building construction. Yeah. So there are some things that are virtually no cost you can do. Uh, RMI put out a report recently that talked about, you know, five or six cost effective things you can do right away, like getting recycled rebar. I mean, it's simple to do. Uh, you can do that right away. Um, Put your put your thumb on concrete. Concrete's by far the worst offender. So concrete walls, the concrete floors, it just, you know, it can go up efficient and we can modulize it, but it, it's a huge impact both to, to make the concrete and then as it cures. Uh, so thinking about even lightweight steel structures, you know, you think about that sort of a skin does a good job. Um, the insulation we use, like XPS was awesome for tight envelopes, but it's terrible from a carbon perspective. So choosing things like mineral wall or EPS or just simple switches with simple education we can do on that. Um, and one of the biggest things structurally will be mass timber, uh, thinking about what we can do to, to basically use a source that already had the carbon inside of it. So we just store it in the building and keep that carbon locked in. So um, those are some of the bigger things that are on the forefront right now. I think, you know, as you know, we've talked through, you know, we've got the operational, we've got the, the carbon it takes to build the building. But I, I just think that the point that you made about we have the opportunity as being part of these projects to impact our future, future of our children and how they're impacted by buildings and the environment is is an important one. And as we, you know, as engineers, you know, I think it's our, you know, our duty to, to be good stewards and help those buildings be, um, you know, positive influences on our communities. 
Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, it's kind of interesting because the bars, in some ways, it's so low. And this isn't anyone's fault in the past. I mean, we all, we evolve, we learn, we grow. Um, and it's just this, this intersection of technology, capability, data um, to really know what that's going to be. And we finally have it all right here and we can watch these buildings and we know how to improve them. So in a way, like right now we get, I don't know, I think we get to cheat this next 20 years and get all the low hanging fruit out of the way and be the heroes. And then the next 20 years, someone will have to do all the harder stuff and uh, figure that out. So um, it is, it feels like a lot today, but I would guess 10 years from now, it's not going to feel like nearly as much. I mean, a lead certification used to feel like this huge deal and now it's kind of a, yeah, we'll go ahead and do that. So I think, I think it's just, it's just a great time to, to do this. And I think as healthcare owners, you have a really good opportunity because you may not, may not think that people are, you know, they aren't going to think about carbon. They aren't going to care, but we find that the more we bring it up, the more you find people that you know, really do care about it and they just want a voice and they want someone, you know, we think about our job, our job is to really give them the tools, give them the communication paths so they know how to talk about it. And then I think there's a lot more people for this than against it. And we just got to be, you know, bold enough to take that step and talk about the opportunities that are out there. Adam and Mike, thanks for a really good conversation today. I know there's a lot more to talk about on this topic, but in the interest of time, I think uh, we'll wrap it up for today. Those who'd like to learn more about this topic can download the executive guide on the quadruple aim and the built environment at imegcorp.com resources. That's I-M-E-G-C-O-R-P.com resources. And look for our guide section. Those who missed the first episode in this series can find it on the Future Built Smarter available on any podcast app, as well as on our website. In our next episode in the series, we'll examine the relationship between the built environment and the second goal of the quadruple aim, reducing the cost of care. Until then, thanks for listening, and take care.